Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Kato Aerts, counsel at Lydian in Belgium. Along with bringing you updates and critical events happening around the world, we are also fortunate to have the chance to dial in our local ELA lawyers that practice on the ground in these jurisdictions and are working daily to help their local clients move through these difficult times. On the program, we span the globe and have received updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. Today, we are visiting with our member firm in the Netherlands. Joining our program are two colleagues, Danny Vesters, a partner, and Suzanne van der Meer, a lawyer and mediator with the firm Boontje Advocaten. I think it's safe to say that most of our listeners have used Uber, a well-known taxi platform, or at least know about it. Danny and Suzanne specialize, among other things, in flexible employment relationships. Today, they will be talking about recent pressures for platform workers, and particularly the debate prompted over Uber, which has been the subject of recent case law in the Netherlands. Welcome to the program, Danny and Suzanne. How are you today? Good. Both fine. The sun is shining, so it's a good day today. Great. Happy to to have you here. I think it's an exciting topic we've chosen for today. Uber's business format has prompted an important labor and employment issue and lots of questions with regards to their drivers. Are they employees or contractors? And before we start talking about that, I would like to ask you to share an overview of the current situation of flexible working relationships for employers in the Netherlands. So yeah, in a way, that's a good question, Kato, as an introduction of question concerning this matter that we're going to discuss specifically in relation to Uber. But when it comes to flexible working relationships, it's like a huge topic that we address here in the Netherlands. So when we talk in terms of flexible working in the Netherlands, yeah, I think it's it's important to mention that it has not only to do with platform workers, but also, for example, to a flexible shell of a business. And that can consist of employees with fixed-term contracts, temporary workers. It addresses posting and secondment and other externally hired staff, independent contractors, and so on and so on. And each of these flexible forms of work here in the Netherlands has its own set of rules and regulations. So if you ask us uh, to give an introduction and to elaborate on the topic of flexible relationships, we can talk all day, which for a lawyer, I'm happy to do because that's what a lawyer is normally doing when it comes to all these legal issues. But now we're specifically focusing on a specific topic when it comes to flexible working relationships. And in general, I think it's good to mention that when it comes to the Dutch legislator aiming this topic of flexible working, then there is some kind of a discouragement when it comes to the, let's say, overall view of the legislator here. Flexible working is possible, remains to be possible, but in recent years, the rules have become more and more strict. Yeah, I can agree to that, Danny, because although, of course, the focus today is on on platform work, and this is rather a new form of employment on which the Dutch legislator has not yet expressed an explicit view. And in practice, we're trying to figure out actually how platforms work, and which is why it is no surprise that the judge has recently been asked several times to define the relationship between platform worker and client in an employment context, actually. Yeah, I see. I think it's, let's say, the same questions that many of of the European countries are currently dealing with. And I understand that just like in other European countries, platform work and the way in which it is organized is a hot topic, right? What is happening in the Netherlands? Are there any press releases? What is going on there? 
Yeah, it's like in other European countries, platform work and the way in which it is organized is like a hot topic in the Netherlands. And whether the discussion concerns permits, discrimination, the black box of the algorithm or the employment protection of platform workers, the business of platforms is definitely under, under pressure. And one of the most recent steps in that debate has been the Uber and its drivers. And that debate has escalated recently. Yeah. And in addition to that, I think, as already mentioned, it's important to mention that or point out that the court has been called upon several times to define mm -hmm. the relationship between platform and platform workers, how to qualify that relationship. For example, there have been several requests with regard to the position of workers of the well-known food delivery platform Deliveroo. And in those cases, yeah, mostly reached the conclusion that these so-called riders for Deliveroo are employees of the platform. And similar is the recent case law that we had here in the Netherlands in relation to Helpling, a platform that connects cleaners with individuals. And in that case, too, it was ruled that there is an employment agreement between the platform and the platform worker. And in this specific case, it also had to do with a specific type of employment, in this case, secondment, uh, so that those workers were working actually on the basis of a secondment agreement. So hot topics here in the Netherlands as well. Yeah, and there, there are many platforms, right? You mentioned a couple like Deliveroo and Helpling, but particularly on Uber, I think there is a lot going on right now in the Netherlands. There is also, let's say, a discussion with their status in comparison to taxi drivers. Could you tell us a bit more about that debate and what it's all about? Yeah, definitely. One of the largest Dutch unions here in the Netherlands, it's called FNV, has called on Uber Netherlands to comply with the Dutch generally binding collective labor agreement, the CLA, for taxi drivers. And in view of the FNV, this CLA should be declared applicable to all Uber drivers with retroactive effect, actually. And the main issue in answering this question was, as in many other discussions about platform workers, whether the Uber drivers are to be qualified as employees of Uber. If that were the case, then the taxi CLA would also apply. Uber, of course, objects to this because it considers its driver to be independent workers, so not employees, but independent workers. Yeah, and when it comes to that aspect of independent workers, then it's important to know how to address that question. And that question also is addressed to the overall question, how do we qualify the, let's say, situation or the relationship between Uber and its drivers? And that needs to be answered in relation to the criteria that we have here in the Netherlands when it comes to the overall legal qualification of an employment contract or an employment agreement. And on the base of Dutch law, in summary, you need to focus on three specific criteria. First of all, there needs to be labor or work that needs to be done, and that needs to be done by someone in person. So an individual is actually performing the work. And second, there must be wage, salary, or a financial compensation that needs to be paid returned for the performed work. And third, and last but not least, I'll point out, there must be authority, authority of the supposed employer over the supposed employee. And the court, in this case, applied those three criteria to the relationship between Uber and its drivers and came overall to a conclusion that it's considered to be employment. I, I understand, Kato, that we're going to discuss this more in detail, but I think that these criteria is something that we need to be aware of when it comes to the overall Dutch standard in this regard. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. And I'm actually curious to hear all about the court decision. What did the court rule? Well, as I said, Uber's case was presented by the union FNV to the court in Amsterdam on the 30th of September of this year, so very recently. 
And as Jenny just explained, the court addressed all the criteria of an employment contract. So it looked at all the criteria. And first of all, the criteria of personal performance of work. And in that regard, the court ruled that it is completely clear that Uber drivers are performing work on behalf of Uber. After all, the drivers transport passengers using the Uber app and Uber benefits from that work since it also receives a commission per ride. Although, Susan, and that sounds logical, we surely all know what argument Uber or other platforms are using against that view. Because doesn't Uber yeah. claim that it is merely tech company, if you read the, the case law? Mm-hmm. This, so that drivers can't be performing work on behalf of a tech company. Yeah, that's true, exactly. Uber claims that it simply develops and runs a platform on which users can connect and enter into agreements with each other. As such, the taxi drivers themselves would have nothing to do with Uber. Uber has used a similar argument also in European case law, uh, namely in the matter before the European Court of Justice concerning transport permits in Spain. Yeah, and I think for our listeners, it's good to know what the Amsterdam Court thinks of this argument. Well, similar to the case before the European Court of Justice, actually, this argument also did not hold up before the court in Amsterdam. The Court of Amsterdam concluded that transportation services are the core of Uber's business, and those services are Uber's entire revenue model, and Uber benefits directly from this increased rights. So in short, Uber cannot so easily distance itself from the gap rights. Okay, but that covers the criteria that work must be done. But what about Mm -hmm. the fact that the work needs to be done in person, as we already explained to the listeners in general terms? Yeah, well, during the case, it became clear that the Uber app requires its drivers to take a selfie before logging in. And as a result, the drivers are also forced to log in themselves and and thus perform the work themselves. Well, Uber objects and claims that this obligation does not come from Uber directly. So it's not their instruction, but it is necessary due to permits requirements. But that does not matter, according to the court, as it is in any case certain that the work is performed personally by the drivers. Okay, so Kato, I think for you, it's good to know that if we hear this, Susan is explaining this, that's the first box that we can check Mm -hmm. because it fulfills the first criteria of an employment contract. Sounds like it. (laughs) Yeah, so, so the court really thought the work has to be done personal, so that's the first criteria. Maybe, Danny, you can tell us a bit more about the second criteria. Yeah, of course, because the second criteria of an employment contract requires that there must be a wage, some kind of compensation in return for the performed work. Yeah, but that should be easy, right? Because isn't it crystal clear that Uber drivers are paid for their work? In a way, it should be crystal clear. And in a way, indeed, it is. However, everyone knows that the drivers get paid per trip. And Uber claims in that regard that this wage is being paid by the consumer, not to Uber directly, but by intervention of a separate legal entity, in this case being Uber Pay, which then mm-hmm. pays the wage to the Uber driver. So there is someone in between or a party in between. Thus, Uber itself, at least a formal entity with which an employment agreement may exist, big question mark, does not directly pay any kind of wages to the driver. There is no, let's say, direct payment in this regard. Mm-hmm. And what did the court think about that argument? Yeah, it's like, it's not a surprise because that argument does not hold up in front of the court because what according to the court matters most is that the drivers get paid for their work in a way, end of sentence. What that pay is formally called, for example, a fee or a salary or a compensation 
or in what way and through what construction it is paid, that's absolutely not of relevance. Okay. So this fulfills actually two of the three criteria for the existence of an employment agreement. But I think the problem lies most in the last criterion, right, Danny? Yeah, that is correct. And that's why by means of introduction in relation to the third criteria I mentioned, last but not least, because in practice, work is often performed in person for which that person gets paid. Very crystal clear, no worries whatsoever. The uniqueness of an employment agreement compared to other varieties of work lies in the criteria of the employer's authority over that specific employee. And Susan, as we both know, the Amsterdam court took a new and unusual approach, reasoning that there is something like a modern employer's authority. So that's something completely new. Yeah, indeed. The court of Amsterdam considered that drivers can only drive for Uber if they sign up through the Uber app. To do so, they must accept the terms and conditions of that app. And those terms change frequently. And if the drivers want to continue driving for Uber, they also have to accept those changes again and again. Yeah. And basically, if they want to drive for Uber, they are bound by these Mm -hmm. terms no matter what. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. And once drivers are fully committed to the Uber app and its terms and conditions, that app's algorithm then determines how and when to drive. For example, the app distributes rides, determines who is offered the ride for a fixed price for the route. And there's also a disciplining aspect to the app and its algorithm. After all, through the Uber app, drivers are also rated, thus evaluated which can affect access to the Uber's platform and the supply of rides as well. So a low average rating can lead to removal from the platform, whereas a high average rating is actually an important condition to qualify for a higher status within the app, which provides benefits to the driver, for instance, financial benefits. Yeah, so so that means that overall through the app, Uber is being the employer and therefore having, in a way, authority over its drivers, big question mark. Yeah, yeah, that's indeed how the court sees it. Yeah, it is Uber who is in control behind the scenes. It is Uber who is able to determine how the app is set up. And in this way, Uber, through that app, exercises the so-called modern employer authority over its drivers. Yeah. Okay, so Kato, when it comes to your question, I think that overall, all this that we just explained on the basis of the Dutch standard fulfills all the criteria of an employment contract between Uber and, in this case, its drivers. And these platform workers are therefore considered to be employees. And subsequently, the court therefore also ruled that the activities that the drivers perform for Uber fall within the scope of the so-called taxi CLA, the collective labor agreement of this specific type of business, which means that the taxi CLA is indeed applicable. Yeah. Well, very interesting, especially the three criteria that you just explained so thoroughly. Thank you for that. And I think it's quite similar in Belgium, where also the distinguishing criterion between an employment contract and an independent working relationship is the authority of the employer. And it's a very factual notion. And I think it's very interesting that the court in Amsterdam thought of some kind of modern employer's authority when applying it to Uber. What is Uber's position on all of this? I can assume that they are not very happy with this ruling. No, I consider that to be an understatement because Uber, as you can imagine, is quite disappointed when it comes to this ruling. They have also explicitly pointed out in the media that the vast majority of the drivers actually want to remain independent contractors. And in the Dutch law, however, it is not possible for the parties to determine for themselves what kind of, let's say, relationship that they would like to have. 
An employment contract is an employment contract in the basic legal standards. And parties cannot decide on their own whether or not they want to, to have such a contract, yes or no. It's not up to them. Yeah, what we must not forget are the consequences of the applicability of the taxi CLA, most of all regarding the wages, because the taxi CLA stipulates that cab drivers, taxi drivers are paid a fixed hourly wage for their entire shift. Therefore, also for the periods when the drivers are not performing a ride, but for example, waiting for customers at a cab stand. At Uber, of course, this is very different. The Uber drivers only get paid if they actually performed a ride. So the union, the Dutch union, FNV, now claims that the Uber drivers, in retrospect, are entitled to the hourly wages stipulated in the CLA, which well can be huge. And this wage must then also be increased by vacation pay, compensation for vacations not taken, statutory interest, statutory increase for late payment of set wages. So that is huge. Yeah, and that in a way raises, because it has, let's say, major financial implications for Uber, that raises the question, how are they going to determine in hindsight how many hours these drivers actually worked? That is a quite difficult question. Yeah, that is indeed very, can be very tricky. So they need to find a way to measure how long the the shifts of Uber drivers lasted. So how how to determine on how many hours of the driver should be paid out according to the CLA wages. And the union FNV has come up with something. They said all time the Uber drivers were locked into the Uber app should be seen as shifts and therefore be paid. Yeah. And again, the question arises, that is how FNV looks at it. Yeah. How does Uber see this? How does the court of Amsterdam think of this argument? I think that that's a good question that then needs to be answered. Yeah, well, well, Uber states that the drivers could have been also locked into multiple apps at the same time. So they could have been working for others and been paid for that. So we shouldn't look at that. And the court considered that that question relates to the interpretation of the, the taxi CLA and therefore should not be part of these proceedings. Yeah, overall, yeah. I think that we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, Wait and see, yeah, yeah. indeed. Yeah. Exciting times for Uber then. <laughs> Let's, uh, the future will tell. As we close our discussion, Suzanne and Danny, what do you think is the next course of action for Uber? Just waiting or could they already do something? How do you see the future of this ruling and the ongoing debate with regards to other platforms perhaps? Yeah, I think that first of all, we must place the ruling in its proper context. It must be said that it is only a first instant ruling and Uber will have the possibility to appeal and afterwards could also go to the Supreme Court here in the Netherlands. It is not unusual for a higher court here in the Netherlands to rule very differently compared to earlier judges. So yeah, the final conclusion concerning this debate is not yet certain. No. On the other hand, the decision does fit in with the way Dutch case law deals with these platform workers. As said at the beginning of this podcast, I think, Danny, you said that courts have already dealt with multiple platforms issues, all reaching actually a similar conclusion. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And the ruling is also similar to the rulings in other European countries, for example, in England, Spain and France. There's already been ruled that platform workers are employees or let's say the in-between category of workers that we have in the UK and cannot be qualified solely as independent workers. Yeah. So although the final verdict on Uber is not yet certain, there is there is actually a good chance that the business model of Uber and, and also other platforms will be put under a great deal of pressure. Yeah, I, I fully agree with this. Yeah. 
We're on the same page, Susan. That's good. That's good. <laughs> That's always good to close off a discussion. Yeah. <laughs> well, Danny and Suzanne, thank you so much for your time. It was a very interesting debate, and I think it's also very relevant for other countries and for all of our listeners. So thank you so much for your time. If you'd like to connect with Danny or Suzanne, please click on their bio in the description of this podcast. Also search the ELA website at ela.law where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Kato Arts, and thanks for listening.